Part seven of Kashtanka by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An unsuccessful debut. One fine evening, the master came into the room with the dirty wallpaper and, rubbing his hands, said, "Well." He meant to say something more, but went away without saying it. Auntie, who during her lessons had thoroughly studied his face and intonations, divined that he was agitated, anxious, and, she fancied, angry. Soon afterwards he came back and said, "'Today I shall take with me Auntie and Fyodor Timofeyitch. Today, Auntie, you will take the place of poor Ivan Ivanitch in the Egyptian pyramid. Goodness knows how it will be. Nothing is ready. Nothing has been thoroughly studied. There have been few rehearsals. We shall be disgraced. We shall come to grief.' Then he went out again, and a minute later came back in his fur coat and top hat. Going up to the cat, he took him by the forepaws and put him inside the front of his coat, while Fyodor Timofeyitch appeared completely unconcerned, and did not even trouble to open his eyes. To him it was apparently a matter of absolute indifference whether he remained lying down, or were lifted up by his paws, whether he rested on his mattress or under his master's fur coat. Come along, Auntie, said her master. Wagging her tail and understanding nothing, Auntie followed him. A minute later she was sitting in a sledge by her master's feet and heard him, shrinking with cold and anxiety, mutter to himself, We shall be disgraced. We shall come to grief. The sledge stopped at a big strange-looking house, like a soup ladle turned upside down. The long entrance to this house, with its three glass doors, was lighted up with a dozen brilliant lamps. The doors opened with a resounding noise, and, like jaws, swallowed up the people who were moving to and fro at the entrance. There were a great many people. Horses, too, often ran up to the entrance, but no dogs were to be seen. The master took Auntie in his arms and thrust her in his coat, where Fyodor Timofeyitch already was. It was dark and stuffy there, but warm. For an instant two green sparks flashed at her. It was the cat who opened his eyes on being disturbed by his neighbor's cold rough paws. Auntie licked his ears, and, trying to settle herself as comfortably as possible, moved uneasily, crushed him under her cold paws, and casually poked her head out from under the coat, but at once growled angrily and tucked it in again. It seemed to her that she had seen a huge, badly lighted room full of monsters. From behind screens and gratings, which stretched on both sides of the room, horrible faces looked out, faces of horses with horns, with long ears, and one fat, huge countenance with a tail instead of a nose, and two long, gnawed bones sticking out of his mouth. The cat mewed huskily under Auntie's paws, but at that moment the coat was flung open, the master said, Hop, and Fyodor Timofeyitch and Auntie jumped to the floor. They were now in a little room with grey plank walls. There was no other furniture in it but a little table with a looking-glass on it, a stool and some rags hung about the corners, and instead of a lamp or candles there was a bright fan-shaped light attached to a little pipe fixed in the wall. Fyodor Timofeyitch licked his coat, which had been ruffled by Auntie went under the stool and lay down. Their master, still agitated and rubbing his hands, began undressing. He undressed as he usually did at home when he was preparing to get under the rug, 
that is, took off everything but his underlinen. Then he sat down on the stool, and looking in the looking-glass, began playing the most surprising tricks with himself. First of all he put on his head a wig, with a parting and with two tufts of hair standing up like horns. Then he smeared his face thickly with something white, and over the white color painted his eyebrows, his mustaches, and red on his cheeks. His antics did not end with that. After smearing his face and neck, he began putting himself into an extraordinary and incongruous costume, such as Auntie had never seen before, either in houses or in the street. Imagine very full trousers, made of chintz, covered with big flowers, such as is used in working-class houses for curtains and covering furniture, trousers which buttoned up just under his armpits. One trouser leg was made of brown chintz, the other of bright yellow. Almost lost in these, he then put on a short chintz jacket with a big scalloped collar and a gold star on the back, stockings of different colors and green slippers. Everything seemed going round before Auntie's eyes and in her soul. The white-faced, sack-like figure smelt like her master. Its voice, too, was the familiar master's voice. But there were moments when Auntie was tortured by doubts, and then she was ready to run away from the party-colored figure and to bark. The new place, the fan-shaped light, the smell, the transformation that had taken place in her master, all this aroused in her a vague dread and a foreboding that she would certainly meet with some horror such as the big face with the tail instead of a nose. And then, somewhere through the wall, some hateful band was playing and from time to time she heard an incomprehensible roar. Only one thing reassured her. That was the imperturbability of Fyodor Timofeyitch. He dozed with the utmost tranquility under the stool, and did not open his eyes even when it was moved. A man in a dress coat and a white waistcoat peeped into the little room and said, Miss Arabella has just gone on. After her, you. Their master made no answer. He drew a small box from under the table, sat down, and waited. From his lips and his hands it could be seen that he was agitated, and Auntie could hear how his breathing came in gasps. Monsieur George, come on, someone shouted behind the door. Their master got up and crossed himself three times, then took the cat from under the stool and put him in the box. Come, Auntie, he said softly. Auntie, who could make nothing out of it, went up to his hands. He kissed her on the head and put her beside Fyodor Timofeyitch. Then followed darkness. Auntie trampled on the cat, scratched at the walls of the box, and was so frightened that she could not utter a sound, while the box swayed and quivered as though it were on the waves. Here we are again, her master shouted aloud. Here we are again. Auntie felt that after that shout the box struck against something hard and left off swaying. There was a loud, deep roar. Someone was being slapped, and that someone, probably the monster with the tail instead of a nose, roared and laughed so loud that the locks of the box trembled. In response to the roar there came a shrill, squeaky laugh from her master, such as he never laughed at home. Ha! he shouted, trying to shout above the roar. Honored friends, I have only just come from the station. My granny's kicked the bucket and left me a fortune. There is something very heavy in the box. It must be gold. Ha-ha! I bet there's a million here. 
we'll open it and look. The lock of the box clicked. The bright light dazzled Auntie's eyes. She jumped out of the box, and deafened by the roar, ran quickly round her master and broke into a shrill bark. Ha! exclaimed her master. Uncle Fyodor Timofeyitch, beloved aunt, dear relations, the devil take you. He fell on his stomach on the sand, seized the cat and Auntie, and fell to embracing them. While he held Auntie tight in his arms, she glanced round into the world into which fate had brought her, and, impressed by its immensity, was for a minute dumbfounded with amazement and delight, then jumped out of her master's arms, and to express the intensity of her emotions, whirled round and round on one spot like a top. This new world was big and full of bright light. Wherever she looked on all sides, from floor to ceiling, there were faces, 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 and nothing else. Auntie, I beg you to sit down, shouted her master. Remembering what that meant, Auntie jumped on to a chair and sat down. She looked at her master. His eyes looked at her gravely and kindly as always, but his face, especially his mouth and teeth, were made grotesque by a broad immovable grin. He laughed, skipped about, twitched his shoulders, and made a show of being very merry in the presence of the thousands of faces. Auntie believed in his merriment. All at once felt all over her that those thousands of faces were looking at her, lifted up her fox-like head, and howled joyously. You sit there, Auntie, her master said to her, while Uncle and I will dance the Kamarinsky. Fyodor Timofeyitch stood looking about him indifferently waiting to be made to do something silly. He danced listlessly, carelessly, sullenly, and one could see from his movements, his tail and his ears, that he had a profound contempt for the crowd, the bright light, his master and himself. When he had performed his allotted task, he gave a yawn and sat down. Now, Auntie, said her master, we'll have first a song and then a dance, shall we? He took a pipe out of his pocket and began playing. Auntie, who could not endure music, began moving uneasily in her chair and howled. A roar of applause rose from all sides. Her master bowed, and when all was still again, went on playing. Just as he took one very high note, someone high up among the audience uttered a loud exclamation. Auntie, cried a child's voice, why, it's Kashtanka. Kashtanka it is, declared a crack drunken tenor. Kashtanka! Strike me dead, Fidushka! It is Kashtanka! Kashtanka! Here! Someone in the gallery gave a whistle, and two voices, one a boy's and one a man's, called loudly, Kashtanka! Kashtanka! Auntie started, and looked where the shouting came from. Two faces, one hairy, drunken and grinning, the other chubby, rosy-cheeked and frightened-looking, dazed her eyes as the bright light had dazed them before. She remembered, fell off the chair, struggled on the sand, then jumped up, and with a delighted yap dashed towards those faces. There was a deafening roar, interspersed with whistles and a shrill childish shout, Kashtanka! Kashtanka! Auntie leaped over the barrier, then across someone's shoulders. She found herself in a box, to get into the next tier she had to leap over a high wall. Auntie jumped, but did not jump high enough, and slipped back down the wall. Then she was passed from hand to hand, licked hands and faces, 
kept mounting higher and higher, and at last got into the gallery. Half an hour afterwards, Kashtanka was in the street, following the people who smelt of glue and varnish. Luka Alexandrich staggered, and instinctively, taught by experience, tried to keep as far from the gutter as possible. In sin my mother bore me, he muttered, and you, Kashtanka, are a thing of little understanding. Beside a man, you are like a joiner beside a cabinet-maker. Vidyushka walked beside him, wearing his father's cap. Kashtanka looked at their backs, and it seemed to her that she had been following them for ages, and was glad that there had not been a break for a minute in her life. She remembered the little room with dirty wallpaper, the gander, Fyodor Timofeyitch, the delicious dinners, the lessons, the circus, but all that seemed to her now like a long, tangled, oppressive dream. End of Part 7 End of Kashtanka by Anton Chekhov Translated by Constance Garnett